And have you come here this morning to hear more about the Word? Hallelujah. You're not going to be disappointed. In this church, we preach this book. I'm not going to preach to you about Islam. I'm not going to preach to you about the homosexuals. I'm not going to preach about the bombs going off. You see that all over your news, don't you? I believe if we preach more about Christ, He will sustain you, He will carry you through, and He will help you. That's true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So I want to continue this week on the types of Christ fulfilled in the book of John. You might say, why are you continuing on this? We're going to go verse by verse through the book of John, but why do you continue? This is Christology, and we know what Christology means. It's a study of Christ. And this is part four. I've looked, it's now four weeks that I've been doing this introduction into the book of John. And it's a different introduction than normally, isn't it? We continue coming back to Jesus Christ. Because you'll see, once we've got this laid, this foundation laid about Jesus Christ, you will see as we're going to go through the book of John, it will make so much more sense to you. In fact, the Word of God is just going to open up to you. If you commit your heart to that. So the more we hear about Christ, and the less we focus on the world, the better we will see the world through God's eyes. If you want something in your life, Christ is the best answer. But you need to know Him. And you need to concentrate on Him. Somebody said once to me, that if you go and work in a bank as a teller, they give you the real notes to handle. The real ones. And in the bank there's a lot of notes. Who knows that? There's a lot of money in the banks, isn't there? And they give it to you so that you can touch the notes and you count the notes through your fingers. And you keep on counting the notes through your fingers. They give you the real thing. Why is that? So that you get used to feel how the paper feel of the real thing. And they keep on giving it to you. And you keep on counting it. And you keep on touching it. And you keep on seeing it. And you keep on smelling it. Money after a while gets a smell in it, doesn't it? But they keep on doing this in the banks, they tell me. Why? So that, dear friend, once the fake comes, you can see the fake a mile away. They say these people become so good that if you put one of these fake notes within the good ones, they will count through it and once they touch the fake, what happens? That memory in their brain, they sense this, everything says, whoa, fake, this is not good. And they stop and they highlight it out. What I want to do is I want to give you so much of Christ, so much teaching of Jesus Christ, so that when the fate comes around, what's going to happen? You're going to say, whoa, stop, watch, it's a fake. The Bible says that in the last days there's going to be a lot of false teachers, a lot of fakeness coming into the church. How are you going to determine it if you don't know the real thing? Are you with me? And this is why I keep on coming back to Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And next week we're going to go and look at the names of Jesus Christ, proving that He is the Son of God. In fact, this is what John is telling us. Look at John chapter 20 verse 30, and this is now the fourth time that I've got the scripture for you up on the board. Why? Because I want the scripture to stick in your mind. It's like that teller. I'm going to bring it up next week again. And guess what? The week after again. And my hope is that you highlight it in your Bible and go away and learn this. Because it says there, and truly, John chapter 20 verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other in the presence of His disciples. Many other things. Which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everybody say Son of God. This is the reason why this book is written. And 
that believing you may have life in His name. Who wants eternal life? I want eternal life. Yes. And this is the answer. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the answer. So if you want to paraphrase that, in your own words you can say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And somebody shout hallelujah. And if you commit yourself to Him, and we're going to see that today, that that commitment to Jesus Christ, if you commit yourself to Him, He will give you eternal life. And we also know that John writes to the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm not a Jew, and I don't think there's any Jews in this room here. We are called Gentiles. And John writes this to you, and he writes this to me. So, here is the statement for you. It says, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Think about that. The Old Testament, in your Bible, the Old Covenant, the Old Contract, it's all words for Old Testament, is in the new one revealed. What does that mean? It means it's been opened up to you and me. How privileged are we? that we can read through the New Testament and see things which all the clever people of the Old Testament couldn't see. That is so privileged, aren't we? The new is in the old concealed. So that means once you open up the Old Testament, it's concealed. And what a privilege, what a challenge for you and for me to go to the old and to unpack it and open it up and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal through the old to us the new. Now, this is how it works. The Old Testament points towards the New Testament. And the New Testament points towards the Old Testament. And right in the middle, dear friend, is the following. Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. He himself says these words. He says, the whole of the book is written about me, about him. And, and my prayer is, my prayer is if there's one person in this place who says, I pray the Lord that he gives me the hunger to go and search for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You'll find him in the Old Testament. It's full there. And that's what we're going to see today. So, They were very clever people in the Bible that Jesus spoke to. One of those was a man by the name of Nicodemus. We read, and we will come in future weeks, we'll come to him as we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, but Nicodemus was was one of these Pharisees. And he was supposed to know the Old Testament. That's what they were schooled in. Yet Jesus, in chapter 3, verse 10 answers him with this. He says to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? What does a teacher do? He teaches. So if you teach something, you need to have the knowledge. Is that right? So when you have the knowledge which you have gone out and you've, you've collected and you've researched that, you bring it to the class and you teach it. He was a teacher of Israel. In other words, he's supposed to know about the Old Testament. And Jesus comes to him and he says, And do you not know these things? He was in particular talking to him about being born again, born in the Spirit. But this is the thing that he said. And we're going to get there when we get to that chapter. Nicodemus, you're supposed to know the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. You're supposed to know it, but you do not know it. Now, you might say, but I'm sitting here in 2016. I'm not Nicodemus. But, friend, we've got the Bible with us all your life. All your life you've got the Bible with you. So don't all shout it out now. How old are you? Don't shout it out. Think in your mind. Now, take off. Ten years of that when you were a child and you were concentrating on playing around, playing outside, kicking the ball. But taking those time, take ten years off and think about the time that you had to learn about the things of God. And I want to 
use Jesus' words and point to you this morning and say, you are supposed to know these things and do you not know these things? But I've got great news for you this morning because I'm going to show you something this morning which will give you a little bit more about these things. Are you ready for that? Now let's have a look. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament types and this is evidence proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If people ask you, what is the evidence? And we talk about the Bible. I want to look this morning about types. Did you know that there's a lot of types in the Old Testament which is all about Jesus Christ? But in the book of John, in this book we're going to study over the next, let's say, year, we will find a lot of types there. First of all, we find the type of the Lamb of God in John 1.29. We see the ladder from heaven in John 1 verse 51. We see the new temple. That was a type in John chapter 2 verse 19. We see that the gift's new birth was a type in John chapter 3 verse 4. And the serpent that's been lifted up, you find in John chapter 3 verse 14. And the bread of God in John chapter 6 verse 35. So let's look at the first type, the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist was standing where he was baptizing people at Betabara. And, and the fascinating thing about Betabara, the place where they were baptizing people in the Jordan, if you go back to the Old Testament, that is the exact place when the people came to the land of Canaan that they've crossed through the Jordan into the land of Canaan. The exact place where they set up some memorial stones. Which means, if you look at it and think about it, it means they came out of the wilderness, out of a lost state, through, through the Jordan into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. It's at that place that John the Baptist baptized people. And that specific place, John saw Jesus, John chapter 129, coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, for you and for me as a Gentile, we might think, what is so special about that? Imagine yourself standing in the crowd. You're not a Jew. You saw this commotion going on at Betabara. You walk up as the crowd. You want to see what's going on there. And there's this man in the water. And another man walks past and he says, Behold the Lamb of God! You as a Gentile, how is it going to affect you? What's he talking about? But for the Jew, it triggered something. It was a type, which I want to show you now. First of all, we go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. And by the way, there are so many scriptures. I, I picked and choose a few. You need to put this in context. Because you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? You, know, you remember the fig leaves? to protect their nakedness. And what happened? God had to kill an animal to give them skins to cover. That was the first sacrificial death. It's way back in Genesis. But I'm not going there. I want to take you now to Exodus chapter 12. He says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, This is God speaking to Moses. On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. You see that? He's now talking to them. It's going to be the last plague for them coming out of Egypt. He says, now, take each one a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Notice what the Bible does. I love this. It's, it's a household. You see what Jesus came for there? World. Wait a minute, we're going to get there. You're going to get so excited about this. And what do they need to do? They need to take this lamb, and your lamb shall be without blemish. You see that? A male of the first year. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day. So how long is the lamb going to be with them? For 14 days. Then the whole assembly congregation of Israel shall kill it. Kill the lamb. At twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost 
and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh that night. Verse 14, So this day shall be to you as a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout generation. It was called the Passover feast. Now here's the amazing thing. Why was it supposed to be without blemish? And how is that a type of Christ? Because God is looking for perfection. We see in Luke chapter 23 verse 4, when, when they brought Jesus to Pilate, Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. You remember when John was standing there and said, Behold the Lamb of God? When he said the Lamb of God, the Jews thought sacrifice. He took them back, which they did for generation after generation after generation, go all the way back to Exodus, took them back to this. Secondly, it had to be there for 14 days. Why do you think 14 days? Because the people needed to grow attached to the little lamb. Have you seen the little lamb? They are the cutest little animal, aren't they? And the animal comes into the house, and what do they do? They do bleating. And everybody wants to touch the little cute thing, don't they? And everybody wants to feed it. And they touch it, and their hands go through the air, and they, oh, how cute and how beautiful. And you grow attached to it. So what happens when it needed to be killed? It is a big story. Jesus Christ lived with us for 33 years, they say. 33 and a half. He came as the Lamb of God, lived amongst us. And what happened? People grew attached to Him. You remember Peter? When Jesus said, I'm going to die, what did He do? He says, God forbid you're going to die. No! He grew so attached to Him. These days people just throw Jesus away with the Jesus, they say. But dear friend, once you know Him, you grow so attached to Him. Just like that Lamb. Can you see how the Lamb is a type? And they shall kill it. Luke chapter 23 verse 46. This is having said this, he breathed out his last breath. This is my Lord hanging on the cross. Hanging there in the balance. And he breathed out his last day. And he was killed by Israel. Yes, I know it was a Roman that killed him. But Israel killed him. It is the same that he said that Israel shall kill it. Can you see the types? Listen, why do I bring these things out? I want to show you that this is not a comic book story. It's real. Jesus is real. And, and the types are there for you and for me to see. And they shall eat the flesh. I remember when John walked, or Jesus walked and his disciples came. He said these words which shocked them. In John chapter 6, verse 53, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Do you what are you saying, Jesus? Do I have to become a, a, a people eater? A cannibal? But they were thinking in the flesh. But still remember the Jews in the crowd... They were going back to the Passover in their mindset. That's why they said this is a two-heart saying. Whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the people walked up to me and said, this is too hard. And a lot of people turned around and walked away. So he turned to his disciples and he said, do you want to go as well? And what did they say? Where shall we go? You've got the words of life. <laughs> this, is, this fascinates me. These are words of death, am I right? But they say you've got the words of life. It is life-giving, this sacrifice. It's life-giving. So he says... You shall keep this feast to the Lord throughout the generations. And this is what they get, the Passover feast, continual. Now you think in your mind, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. I want to take you just, it's not there, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, if I may. I was going to do it anyway, so. Just open up your Bible. This is not on the board, you have to do a little bit of Bible work here. 
first of all go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's see, see where this goes, okay? Here is John the Baptist standing there. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which will take away the sins of the world. The, the Jew in his mind will think sacrifice, the same sacrifice that we do in the temple every single time. The same sacrifice that we celebrate in the Passover and I just showed you of the Lamb. But what about the Gentile? What about you and me? This is fast, fantastic. Let's see how Paul brings it back to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Are you there? It says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. Now look at this. For, everybody say for. Indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Paul was writing his letters and he was preaching to the Gentiles and the Jews. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, to you and to me. And he makes the Jewish thing an us thing. Can you see that? He says he is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. Now, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 12 now. Exodus. Verse 46. All the way back. Exodus chapter 12. Something changed here, and I want to show you that. I'll give you time to go there. Remember, Paul said, our sacrifice was sacrificed for us. That is the Gentiles and the Jews. But it wasn't so in the Old Testament. Remember, we're talking types here. Look now at uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. We'll start at verse 43. He says, And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. Everybody now knows what the Passover is. That's the passage that I've just showed you there in Exodus. The lamb that had to go in for 14 days. And they had to kill it, eat its flesh, and put the, the blood on the doorpost so that when the angel of death comes over, that they were spared. Now he says, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. Who's the foreigners he's talking about? The Gentiles. That's you and me. We were excluded. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. You see the word circumcised there? Circumcision is of the foreskin. Every male had to do it. That was what brought them in. They were bought, but they had to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you can't take part of the Passover feast. Verse 45, A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. Who's that? Us. It's again Gentiles. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And by the way, that was fulfilled on the cross. They didn't break Jesus' bones. Verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord... Let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it and he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. What's the problem there? The problem is circumcision. The Jews were circumcised. That was through a covenant. They kept it. They were allowed to eat the Passover. But the Gentile, me, you, had to be circumcised to be able to do that. That's a problem. That was the same problem that, that plagued Paul when he was in his ministry and he went through the book of Acts and the big church called him back to Jerusalem. What was the biggest problem for them? Circumcision. Law. Law. 
That's a sad story, isn't it? But wait, there's good news. Turn now with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Again, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Now, I'm going to start reading from verse 25, but I want you to concentrate on verse 28 and 29. Remember what I just showed you in the Old Testament. Circumcision was that problem for the Gentile. Here we read now in Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision, we are talking about the same thing, isn't it? For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. The law. And let me just warn you. Let no person today try to bring you back under the law. That's why the whole book of of Galatians was written. That was why Colossians was written. Let people not come to you and try to get you under their petty laws. You have to pray at four o'clock in the morning. You have to do this for God to hear you. You have to do that for God to hear you. You have to do this, this and that. Watch out. Now continue. He says, But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physical uncircumcised, in, if he fulfills the law, judge you? Even if your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. Now, everybody look at me. Do you understand exactly what I've read there? Come on, be honest. It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? If you read it like that. You see what the law does? It confuses people. But here's the great news now. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcised that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcised is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now this is where he changes. This is the good news. We are not circumcised in the flesh, but we are circumcised in the heart. Are you circumcised? I certainly am. Not in the flesh, but in the heart. How does it work? How do I get circumcised in the heart? It's been called being born again. It's called being saved by grace. You say, well, prove it to me through the Scriptures, and I will certainly prove this for you through the Scriptures. Go with me to John 1, uh, John 1 verse 12. John chapter 1 verse 12. John chapter 1 verse 12. And while we go there, we're going to see in John chapter 3 the same, same conversation taking place about the physical and the spiritual. John chapter 1 verse 12 But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Him? To those who believe in His name. Now look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood. Now can everybody who is born of blood put up their hands? Come on, be with me. Are you born of blood? Yes, of course. Everybody in this room is born of blood. Nor the will of the flesh. Can everybody who is born of the will of the flesh put up their hands? That's everybody in this room. Nor the will of man. Again, that's everybody in this room. But of God. That's a spiritual birth. Once you get born again and saved by God, you get circumcised by the heart. One more verse before we go back. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans. Chapter 8, verse 14. What, what becomes of you once you've done what John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 happens to you, born of God? What, what are you called? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. You see that? 
These are sons of God. Welcome in the family. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You got all of that? If I was too fast, you can get the tape afterwards and go over it again. That is fascinating news. And again, it brings us back as the first type in the book of John, the Lamb of God. Now, let's talk about the second type, the ladder from heaven to earth. We find in John chapter 1 verse 49 that Jesus was finding his disciples and he says, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, listen to what he say, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's a ladder to heaven. You will see the angels ascending and descending. Now come on, where did this happen in the Old Testament? Amen. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 28 verse 12. Can you see that Jesus Christ fulfilled another type? Genesis chapter 28 verse 12. He says then, and this is Jacob, then he dreamed and behold, look at this, a ladder. A ladder. He dreamed and he saw a ladder. Was set up to the earth, up on the earth, and its top reached the heaven. And there, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And who stood at the top of the ladder? And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abram, your father, and the God of Isaac. Look at this. You shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Where is Jesus Christ now? Yeah, but in this verse. Where is He now in this verse? On the earth. When he spoke to Nathaniel at that point in time, he was walking on the earth. And he said, Nathaniel, behold, you will see this happening on the Son of Man. He was on, and he says, you will see this. But when Jacob saw this, where was he standing? In heaven. He, wasn't, he didn't come down yet. So that was a type of him coming. And then as you said, what happened when he died? He was taken up again. And where is he sitting now? At the right hand of the Father. Can you see the type? He fulfilled the type. This in the Old Testament was showing towards Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in John chapter 1 verse 39 when he said this. Jesus said to himself, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another type, the new temple. In John chapter 2 verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. What's he talking about? They were walking through that magnificent temple. They looked at this great temple. Jesus said, Destroy this temple. And, and I most probably he didn't show with his hands like me. I think he just stood there and he says, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they didn't get this. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. It was a type. We found this type in 1 Kings chapter 6. When this temple was built on the earth, in the fourteenth year of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the mouth of Shep, and the eleventh year in the mouth of Bull, which is the eighty-eighth month, the house was finished. The temple was built. The point that we need to see here is that every single, single thing in the Old Testament pointed towards Christ. You remember in the beginning my slide with the two arrows going towards him? The temple, every single detail of the temple is Christ. He's there in the Old Testament. And here in the book of John, he fulfills those types. Not only was he the Lamb of God, not only is he the ladder from heaven, but he's the new temple. And then later on he says, do you not know that your body is the temple? Why that? Because he died and went to the Father, and now the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. 
Then we see another type. He says, He gives new birth. In John chapter 3 verse 4, we see that He speaks to the Nicodemus. And He says that you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, but how can I be born if I'm old? Can I enter a second time to my mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, most surely I said to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does new birth gives you? Eternal life. And this is fulfilled in, uh, 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 we saw this in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt on the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Are you still in darkness? Or have you seen the light? Oh, Jesse Dixon uh, on the gate of video sing that song. He says, I've seen the light. And this is what was written in John chapter 1 verse 4 as well. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's new birth, eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Trespasses and sin. You were dead. Well, we were born, and we had life, and we cried. And I, I, I know what they do with babies when they, when they are born. They give them a quick smack on the bum. There's a reason for that. They want them to cry. It starts everything in the body off if you start crying. But we were born dead. How is that? How am I born dead? You are spiritually born dead. You don't come out of the womb wanting to serve God. You come out of the womb wanting to go away from God. And this is what people do. And you were dead. But then he says, this dead was caused by trespasses and sins. Now let me explain those two words quickly to you. Trespass is crossing a boundary that you're not allowed to cross. How many of those did we do in our lives? Come on, I, I was a young child as well, and mum and dad says, don't do that, what do we do? We do it. That's one thing you don't tell little children. I remember when Gavin, uh, in South Africa, we had a barbecue, and Gavin and Richard were standing around, and Gavin was, I think he was six years old or five years old, and Richard was three years old, and we were standing at the barbecue, and I was in and out, in and out, and, and we didn't have gas barbecues, it was coals. And I had these two little boys hanging around, and I was standing outside, and I said, Listen, boys, you do not touch the barbecue. And I said, Those things on the inside which is red, you see those red things in there? It gives up a lot of heat. Yes, Dad, you do not touch any one of those. So I'm in and I'm out and I'm in and out and eventually I came and I wanted to stir. You know when you do these calls, you stir them sometimes. And I lifted the grill and I stirred them and one of a red hot one, it flew out as I stirred it. And what did Gavin do? He went down and he picked it up. <laughs> he didn't listen. And what happened? Immediately he was punished for that. But you see, that's the thing, dear friends. We've got boundaries which we should not cross. But we do. That's trespasses. And sins is not hitting the mark. That's what it means in Greek. Now, who's played darts? You know the bull on the dartboard? That little red center? If you take a dart and you throw it into that bull and you hit it the first time, we say that you've hit the mark. You've got three that you can throw and you throw the second one and it hits the bull and you hit the mark. Now, what is the chances of you hitting that bull ten times in a row? Oh, if you're really good, you can do that. But what if you hit it hundred times in a row, can you? The odds is against you now. Now, what if I say you need to hit that bull a thousand times in a row? Is it possible or impossible? What if I say 10,000 times after? You can't miss once. 10,000 times. Do you think it's possible or impossible? What if I say a million times? What if I say 10 million times? We can't hit the bull every time. We can't hit the mark every time. That is why we are dead and born dead. And now the fascinating thing is that Paul says that he made you alive. And the only one who can make you alive is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, 
to them he gave the right to become children of God. How wonderful is it to know that you can have the right to become a child of God. And he follows on to say, to those who believe in his name. Now I want you to focus now, because this is what the new birth is all about. It's a spiritual birth. It says there, when John writes in verse 13, he says, Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Three things there. Not of blood, physical blood, not the will of flesh, not the will of man, but of God. You see, this is a spiritual birth. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the type thereof for us. Now, let's hurry on and have a look at the fifth type that Jesus Christ fulfilled. In John chapter 3 verse 14 we read the following. He says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, if you're a Gentile, you would look at them and say, John, what are you talking about? What, what is this what you mean? But the Jew, he would have understood what John was talking about here, what was written down here. Because they will look back in the Old Testament and they will find in Numbers chapter 21 verse 6, they will find the account that John is writing down here. And by the way, this was passed on from one generation to another generation. It was told to their children and the children carried the story over to the next generation and so it went forth. But the point that we want to make here is that in Numbers chapter 21, and I hope by now you've already opened up there, that was a shadow of what was going to come. It was a type of Christ. Now let me read it to you from verse 6. Numbers 21, 6, he says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people. Now you would wonder, why would God do this? Well, again, if you look at verse 4, it says, The people journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Isn't that sounding like our day and age as well? You know, I listen to people these days, children of God, and they are safe. In fact, it is like the word says there in Numbers chapter 21 verse 4, their souls become very discouraged on this way to heaven. A lot of complaining going on. You know, the people spoke against God and against Moses and they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And listen to this. Our soul loathes the worthless bread. They were talking about the manna which fell from heaven here. And their souls loathed it. They hated it. The provision of God, they hated. Again, it reflects on our day. And what did God do in verse 6? He sends fiery serpents amongst them, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. There's another bite of the serpent that I want to mention to you right now. And that's the bite of sin. You and I were bitten with the bite of sin since we were born, or, or we were born in, into this. Therefore the people now came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And what did Moses do? He prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, when he looks at this, he shall live. <clears throat> so Moses did it. Again, I want to bring it back to this. It is a type of Christ. And here in John, we see the fulfillment of that type. When John writes down, he says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in John chapter 3 verse 14. Even so, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we know that he was lifted up on Calvary and he died for us on that cross. Now, I want to talk to you about the last one, and I particularly love this type of Christ. 
Look at John chapter 6, now in your Bible, in verse 35. He says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and who who believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I am the bread of life. And again, when he spoke to uh, a Gentile, to you and me standing there in the crowd, we wouldn't know what he was talking about. But to the Jew, again, the stories which were told over, they would have remembered back in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. They would remember the account. And before that, where the people cried out and said, we are dying of hunger. You see, this is the fascinating thing about people always complaining, always complaining. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 4 of Exodus 16, He says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather certain quota every day. Now look, notice in your Bible it says, that I may test them. Every day he will rain the bread down. They need to pick up a quota every day so that he can test them. This is magnificent for me. You see, words aren't just in the Bible by chance. It is written there for a purpose. What is the test? Whether they may walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now again, this is a type of that Jesus Christ fulfilled in the New Testament, and is spoken of here in John chapter 6. But I want to I wanna just share this with you, because this passage for me years ago made a lot of sense. You know, when I contemplated this passage in Exodus, I thought by myself, God can do everything, anything. Manna was a small piece of bread. Small, very small. And when it rained manna from heaven, well, I, I wasn't there, I wasn't an eyewitness, nor was John, nor was the people who knew it, but they read about this in the accounts which was written by Exodus and taught over from one generation to another. But it was a small piece of bread. And you see, every single day they had to come out, and they couldn't stand, they had to bow down on their knees to pick up this bread. You see, there's a significant thing about that. Every day they had to do this, and I wondered by myself, Lord, but why didn't you just drop a loaf, a big, freshly baked loaf, as big as a house, right there? Then the people didn't have to bend down. It's hard, you know, bending down on your knees to pick up all these bread. But you see, here's the thing, friend. The manna was a type of Christ. It was a shadow of the substance Jesus Christ. And the fact that they had to go out and bend down means that you have to bow down to Jesus Christ. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. The same happened as in the Old Testament. If we come to Christ, we bend down to Him. We humble ourselves before Him. And secondly, they had to gather daily. There were some of them, as, as you know the account, who went in there and they tried to beat the system. They picked up for tomorrow as well. And the next morning when it rained great, they didn't go out. The other people went out as, as they ought to and pick up for the day. But these people thought we'll pick up for two days. And what happened? This was full of, full of worms and rotten. And you see, this is the same today. How people come to church on a Sunday and they want to gather enough for the whole week. And guess what happens? Tomorrow it's full of worms. That's why it's critically important for you to keep on praying and read your Bible and follow Christ every day. It's a relationship. So there you have it. Six types of Christ in the book of John. Which proves one thing. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is what John intended to write when he came out. And he written these things down. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And for us, it's best to come to the Son of God. 
like it was demonstrated for us in the Old Testament, and bow down daily, daily, and pick up this bread. He says, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. And he says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. Have you been to him? Have you eaten of the bread of life? And if you say you have, I want to ask you the question, why are you still so hungry? Why are you still frantically running around to try to make life peaceful for yourself? He's the peacemaker. And then he says, He who, who believes in me shall never thirst. Two things he addresses in John chapter 6. And, and we're going to look at that as we're going to go through that chapter. That's a fascinating chapter in chapter 6. Once we're going to go through there and do it verse by verse, you'll be, you'll be blessed. But just two things that he picks up there in that verse. He says, I am the bread of life. You come to me shall never hunger. And you believes in me shall never thirst. Two things. Come and believe. And hunger and thirst. He addresses both those things. And I'll unpack it for you. And make it really practical once we get to that part. Now let me just wrap it up here. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament types. He is the Lamb of God, He says. And He is the Lamb of God for you and for me. He is the substance of the shadow which was the ladder from heaven. Jesus gives us access to the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. I pray to the Father. I listen when people pray. And people ask me oftentimes, who do we pray to? Do we pray to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit or to God? Or who do we pray to? Well, I pray to whom Jesus prayed to, and that's the Father. But you see, He's the ladder from earth to heaven. And then also, He's the new temple. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. Uh, Paul says at one stage, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And... And this is what He is. And He gives new birth. That was a type. And we are born again through Jesus. And the serpent that was lifted is that we look upon Jesus and receive life. And finally the bread of God. Jesus fulfill us and we hunger no more. No more. I want to ask you today, direct, personally. Do you know Him? Do you really know Him or have you only heard about Him? Because if you've listened to me today and if you've heard my voice today and as I, as I preach this through, I want to I ask you the same question that Jesus asked Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel? He asked him. Now I know you're not a teacher of Israel, but I want to ask you, now that you've heard this today, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the types of the Old Testament. We know He's the Son of God. Do you not know these things, dear soul? Is your heart not committed to Him yet, dear soul? I highly recommend that you come to the cross. The fact that you listen to my voice and the fact that you that you are here today and that you concentrate on Him is, is a sign for me that the Holy Spirit is calling you. He's calling you to come. There is still room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there is still room for one. May God bless you this week and hopefully this, this sermon has touched you so much that that you will seek Him and cry unto Him and say, Jesus, I want to know You more and more so that I may know. In Jesus' name, let us pray.